Welcome to week six of Tall Grass at the Well. As you find your seats, anyone else kept up all night by fireworks? Anyone else kept up all night because your child was up all night because of fireworks? Because of a pet being up all night? Okay, all the things. Happy 4th of July, happy Independence Day. Um, who's, who's headed to Wamigo later on? All right, I'll be following Pax and Lemoyne to try to find a great park, place to park. Anyone headed to Junction City? They throw a great party as well. Anyone staying home? Going to bed early? All, all of that, okay. Well, there's a lot of fun stuff going on, so we are uh, thankful that you're gathered here, whether you're online or here in person. Is anyone out of town right now for the fourth? I guess you would, you're here, so you're not out of town, but maybe some online are. Uh, we are very excited to welcome you to week six of Tallgrass at the Well, this exploration of kingdom possibilities between two churches, Tallgrass Church and the Well. And so you might be thinking, okay, how do I give to these churches? And we've been highlighting that each and every week. So both of our churches have an a online giving, uh, which is the best way to do that, the easiest way to do that. But if you're involved at the Well, you're welcome to give to the Joy Box. And I, we like giving that announcement to hear the, the enthusiasm for giving the way of Jesus, sacrificial generosity. And if you're involved at Tallgrass Church, of course, there's the black box. All right. We're learning from our friends at the well. And we've actually developed a better together fund. So if someone's a visitor, they're new, maybe they, they jump in to this thing, Tallgrass at the Well, and they're not, they haven't been involved at either church. Well, you can also give to this thing. So it's Better Together uh, Giving Fund. It's actually under the Tallgrass website, tallgrass.church give. There's a drop down. And we're hoping that, that in this season of exploration that, that we're sensing we really are better together and that we'll, we're gonna plan for the fall and keep asking the questions and consider joining first forces permanently. So that fund may be a great way to get a jump start on some things. So you're welcome to give to that. By the way, uh, Josh Siders is, uh, Pastor Josh of the Well is preaching at True. So it's kind of cool that we have a team and we can do things like that. So that's where he's at this morning, uh, enjoying that community, True. I uh, wanted to invite you all to consider joining a team. So uh, there are a couple uh, put me in coach cards. I meant to ha hand them out here. You can also go to thewellmhk.com and find on their website the way to join a team. So the, the two or the biggest need right now is, of course, to serve with our kids or sprouts, as we call it at Tallgrass Church. So what an amazing way to invest in this this, uh, these two churches, Tallgrass Church and The Well. We've got a lot of kids. That's one thing Tallgrass Church brought with us is a bunch of kids. And uh, there's always more on the way, which is great. So if you're thinking, man, I love, I love being around kids. I love serving with kids. Then jump onto that team. Or you're thinking, wow, I really need to grow in patience. I just haven't learned how to grow in patience. Then serve with kids and that'll help you out. Uh, another way to serve um, is by jo uh, considering joining the worship team. And so we have, a, the well has, has historically had a lot of talent and musicians and, and great creativity and Tallgrass Church has as well. So we're gonna actually have a worship team jam session this Tuesday, led by this guy right here, Brandon Pitt, who's been leading our singing, which is awesome. 
So is there anyone out there with an undiscovered talent that might consider raising your hand and joining us Tuesday evening? Okay, great. And I forgot. Oh, I know Josh is your husband. I forgot your first name. Marina. Right? Yes. Okay, cool. What do you play? Sing. Okay. Maybe we'll see you Tuesday evening. That would be awesome. Yeah, so we want to discover the talent here and help develop the talent here, continue to build out the worship team uh, week to week. Last announcement. Uh, In two weeks' time, we're going to have a Better Together lunch. So through the summer, uh, since most of our small groups aren't meeting, we've been looking to leverage our Sunday time together. So we've done several things right after our worship gathering. And so in two Sundays, that's what we're going to do. We're going to stay right here, order in pizza for anyone and everyone who's part of Tallgrass Church, part of the well, great time for visitors to come and hear what we're thinking, what we're doing, where are we at in this exploration process, and a chance for you all to just ask questions and, and uh, we'll do our best to answer those questions. And a lot of times the question might be, I don't know, but we're really thinking about that. So we want to invite you to that. Um, it'll be a great time. All right, so this morning we're week two in our summer sermon series on 1 John. So in 1 John, we're wanting to help you all, help ourselves to really connect our faith with our head our knowledge about who God is, but also our heart, our experience of the love of God, the relationship with God and ability to pour that out to others, as well as our hands, living out our faith, living out the way of Jesus. And so we want to uh, combat the, the uh, separation of those things for so many. So many who would say they follow Christ, say they would identify as a Christian, but yet it's not permeating their heart and their hands. So that's one of the main reasons we have decided to jump into 1 John together this summer. Uh, Pastor Josh of The Well did a great job introducing uh, that that sermon series last week. You can go listen uh, on either website, and um, he covered chapter 1. So we're going to be in chapter 2, starting in verse 3. So you're welcome to turn turn there if you like a hard copy of the scriptures, uh, or if you've got a smartphone, you want to find your choice translation or you can look up here, you're welcome to do that as well. And I'm gonna be drinking water throughout this time and it might be a little disruptive, just a warning. Yeah, there it was. So I'll be reading from ESV. I know Josh has been reading from NIV. I'm sure we can sort and figure all that stuff out over time. But here is John's words, Probably to uh, the church in Ephesus, but of course these letters would have been circulated to all the churches. The the same issues that were faced by the church in Ephesus were faced by other churches and all the way up until today. And he starts out, he says this, by this we know that we have come to know him. So we'll just stop right there. So I want, as we go through 1 John, to really think about the tone with which John is writing. I really want you to pay attention to how much he is trying to encourage the people he's writing to. So the encouragement comes first, and then the exhortation. So as we read this, we really need to to hear it through the lens of, of John writing to them and saying, you guys are good, you're in the faith, you're doing well, and here's how you can know that you're doing well, and then keep going in this pathway. 
Um, if we don't read it through that lens of encouragement, it's going to be very easy for us to shift into viewing it through the lens of legalism, where we hear John say these hard things, and then we think, oh, I have to do all of that to be right with God. And that is not John's intention here. He's very clear about the blood of Christ is what paves the way for you to have relationship with Christ. But then he does come on with some strong statements about how we can know that we have come to know him. Throughout this letter, he's addressing some who have, have had crept into the church that he's writing to, um, but have now moved on. And he calls them those who would lead you astray in uh, chapter 2, verse 26. And he exhorts uh, these believers. He says, dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. So apparently someone was in there teaching something to try to pull them uh, off the straight and narrow path of Christ. Uh, Paul, if, if this was written to the church in Ephesus, Paul had already warned that fierce wolves would come in among them in Acts 20, verse 29 to, 20 to 30. Um, and John calls these, these folks who had come in false prophets and deceivers. He even goes so far as to call them antichrists. So a lot of John's writing is to help this, this church discern what is true spirituality. How, what, how can I test to know if what I'm being taught, what I'm being shown is true or false spirituality? So John is teaching us how to test claims of spirituality while also building confidence in our own faith. So let's just pretend that you're a heart doctor, you're a cardiac specialist, and so you see patients all day, every day. Someone comes into your office and they say, Doc, I have a very strong heart. My heart is the strongest you'll ever see, and that's what, he, what they say. But when he applies all the tests, the, diag the, the uh, diagnoses them, he finds high blood pressure, chronic low energy. They can't do aerobic exercise without passing out. So that doctor says, you may say you have a strong heart, but you don't have a strong heart, right? It's very, very simple. You can test these things to see if what they say about themselves is true or not. So that would be the diagnosis. That wouldn't even be the treatment. The treatment is a whole separate, separate deal. Uh, within the diagnosis, you might have some idea about how to treat that, but the point of that is to diagnose the situation. And so that's John's main purpose here, is to help them diagnose and test what is true spirituality versus false spirituality. So John, throughout this letter, and I think we even talked last week, John doesn't write in a super linear fashion. He's kind of circular. He has some themes that he keeps riffing on throughout this letter. And so this comes out throughout the letter. He has a threefold test of true spirituality. And these correspond with the head, the heart, and the hands. So the first test of true spirituality is the head test, the theological test, the test of belief in Christ. Namely, do you believe Jesus is the Son of God and came in the flesh? So there's a lot of people that don't pass this test, who say they follow Jesus, but don't actually believe in the historic, physical, the incarnation, the physically uh, um, born Christ who died and rose again. 
This comes out throughout 1 John. In uh, John, 1 John 2, 22, he says, who's the liar but he who denies Jesus is the Christ? That's actually the antichrist. So those who deny that, that um, the, the, deny the Father and the Son and deny that the Son has come in the flesh, John actually calls an antichrist, strong words. So that's the first, the first test, the head test. What do you believe about Jesus? The second test is the heart test or the social test, the test of love. Do I love like Jesus? So if you look at someone's life, they say, oh yeah, I, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus. The second test to ask is, do they love like Jesus? Of course, to love like Jesus, you have to experience the love of Jesus first. So maybe that's a good place to start. We love because he first loved us. So deep experience of the love of Christ that then pours out of someone's life, love for their neighbor, their enemy, one another. And then the third test we could call the hands test or the ethical test or the moral test, the test of obedience. Do they walk like Jesus? Do they live like Jesus? And actually these three tests correspond with the way that the Gnostic culture is affecting our culture today and that Josh introduced last week. Questioning the exclusivity of Christ, you know, that, that's the head test. The rise of expressive individualism he talked about. That's, do I love others or am I just self-focused? And then the denying the pervasiveness of sin. Am I walking actually in the way Jesus taught? So as we continue to go here, and we talk about these tests and how we can discern what influences in our lives are either meeting the test or failing the test, and am I meeting or failing the test? Um, just know that no one does this perfectly. So John presents this material in, in pretty stark terms, in terms of what the ideal is, but no one lives up to that perfectly except for one man. Anyone know who that one person is? The answer is usually Jesus, right? Jesus is the one person, and, and that's why the gospel is the gospel. He did for you what you could not do for yourself. And so anytime there's a, a point where you're like, ah, oh, I'm I don't know if I'm meeting that test. Repentance is always a beautiful thing to turn back again to the cross of Christ. And just two verses before where we're at, um, for, uh, John says, if anyone does sin, we have one who has atoned for our sin, uh, Jesus Christ. So no one does this perfectly. You, we have to read 1 John through the lens of grace. Grace abounds. Grace abounds. This is about the trajectory of my life and which way am I headed. So let me pray for us and then we'll, we'll keep diving into the, the scriptures. Father, thanks for the morning. Thanks for all who have gathered here. Uh, those from the well, those from Tallgrass Church, those who are just visiting. I've loved meeting new people, just checking things out. I pray that our exploration of this, this kingdom possibility and, and thinking about possibility of unity rather than division would would be compelling and that we would, our hearts would be knit together, that you would use our time in First John this summer to do something in, in each of our lives individually and our, our two churches, but um, our two churches coming together. And I pray that you would um, help us to grow in our faith, both uh, our, in our head, our hearts, and our hands. 
God, lead us and guide us even this morning. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So John says this, by this we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commands, remember, grace abounds. Anyone out there keeping his commands 100%? I don't see any hands. If I see any hands, let's talk later. We'll dig a little deeper. By this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, so apparently someone was saying this, I know him, but does not keep his commands is a liar. The truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him or remains in Christ ought to walk in the same way in which Christ walked. So first I want to comment before we look at these tests. Um, John says, man, I've preached a lot of Paul. Paul keeps wanting to come off my tongue. This is John. John's writing this. John says, by this we know that we have come to know him. So this knowledge of Jesus is always experiential. Yes, there are true things to know about him, but it's an experiential knowledge. And one of the best ways to think about that is the analogy of marriage, which actually Paul does say applies to Christ and the church. So on, on November 26, 2005, something amazing happened. I married Maris. I knew, I knew some things about her, but I didn't really know her. And these last 15 plus years, I have come to know her at a much deeper level. And that's, that's ongoing, right? That, 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 that relational depth is always there to be had. There's always more love to be experienced. So we're never going to fully arrive at this coming to know Christ because he's a person and a relationship always has more love to be experienced. It's about a lifetime. And the same is true for true spirituality. So when someone, the question comes, you know, are you a Christian? And someone, all they can say is, yeah, one time I prayed a prayer or I have that one moment in time, but there's no ongoing depth of knowledge of Christ, then maybe they don't pass the test of their, of their faith that they express. So again, tone is so important though. Uh, no one is living, this, uh, living up to this uh, perfectly. But he says, whoever says, I know him, but doesn't keep his commands is actually a liar. He says, whoever says, I abide in him, ought to walk as Jesus walked. So there needs to be integrity between what we say and how we live. So this is test three, the hands test, the ethical or moral test. Do we walk like Jesus? Do I live like Jesus taught and lived? Again, not perfectly, but the direction of my life, the desire of my heart, not to earn my favor with God, but because of a deep experience of grace in my life. Keep his commandments, keep his word, walk in the same way in which he walked. So let's, let's think a little bit about Jesus' ethical teaching, um, just the, some of the topics that Jesus taught on. So if you want to learn about what Jesus taught and how he lived, you turn to the Gospels and, and you follow along with his life. And has anyone watched The Chosen recently? 
it's, it's, it's a really great show. So if you haven't started watching that, watch that. I think the depiction of Christ and the way he interacts with people and the way he lives his life, um, it really helps you imagine yourself being there with him. But as you read, as you read through the Gospels, you get three uh, main foci of Jesus' teaching or focuses. Foci is a great word, plural for focuses, of Jesus' teaching. Uh, Jesus' sexual ethics, his economic ex, uh, ethics, and his power ethics. So now we kind of dig a little bit deeper into what did Jesus teach and how did he live? And this is a test for our spirituality or those who are seeking to influence us. What are we doing with our sexuality? What are we doing with our money? What are we doing with our power? Of course, Jesus sets the standard and then he both provides the pathway for forgiveness and the pathway for growth towards that standard by the blood of, cro of the cross. So first, let's think about Jesus' sexual ethics. And I would make the case to you that anytime someone is, is approaching Christ and trying to make him become more lenient in the area of our sexuality, he actually goes back to the original design and he tightens it back up to God's purpose and God's design. And this is actually a test for true spirituality versus false spirituality. So in Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, when he's setting that standard very, very high, he says, you have heard that it was said in the Old Testament, you shall not commit adultery. So does Jesus kind of become a little bit more lax in his sexual ethic? No, listen to what Jesus says. He says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He takes it back to God's original design. And then he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. Again, this is before the cross. He provides, he provides forgiveness for falling short of his standard, which we all do. We have to keep that in mind. No one has lived up perfectly to Jesus' sexual ethic. But that is the direction of those who are truly spiritual. They're seeking to follow Jesus' way of living, what he taught, how he lived. And it gets very nitty gritty in their culture with the Gnostics back then and there, but in our culture today. So you might even be thinking, what messaging am I getting about sexuality? And you have, you have a way to discern. Is this truly spiritual and of God or is this false spirituality and seeking to deceive. One other story uh, of Jesus related to his sexual ethic. In Matthew 19, verse three to six, Pharisees came up to him, they tested him, they said, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them female, male and female? Therefore a man shall not leave Sorry, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God is joined, let not man separate. And they went on to say, well, yeah, Moses kind of, uh, he relaxed that a little bit and allowed for divorce. And Jesus says, actually, the ideal remains. There's provision. There, we've all fallen short of this, this standard. 
but there's a direction to our life that needs to be headed towards God, Jesus' teaching and his way of life as it comes to our sexuality. And this message right here is for those who follow Christ. So those who say, I, hey, I have questions about Jesus. I'm coming to check things out, but I don't follow him. Hey, be where you're at, no problem. This is a test for those who bear the name of Christ and wanna have influence for the name of Christ. Are they living as Jesus taught and lived in the area of their sexuality? Again, we've all fallen short, grace abounds, but that is the direction to be headed. Jesus' economic ethics, another big area of life. Jesus spoke on, on money a ton, he spoke on it a lot in Matthew 6. Sermon on the Mount, he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So if you see someone who bears the name of Christ and they're seeking to wield spiritual influence in the world, but they're storing up treasures here on earth, then uh, that should raise a yellow flag, maybe a red flag. True spirituality is following, walking in the way Jesus walked and what he taught. We don't store up treasure here on earth. Rather, we lay up for ourselves treasure in heaven where, moth nor rust can, um, where neither moth nor rust can destroy and thieves can't break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is, this is a hard one to evaluate, but I, I would just encourage us here in America, you know, the most affluent country in the history of the world, there's a lot of messaging out there related to our money, health, wealth, prosperity. A lot of people who are saying, I follow Jesus and I want to wield spiritual influence in your life. But are they following, are they walking in the way Jesus walked as it pertains to their money? So you can ask that question. What influences in my life are posing as spiritual but don't meet the way of Jesus' economic ethics? And are you yourself moving towards or away from Jesus' path as it pertains to your use of money? So our, our sexuality, our money, these are hard things, right? And then last, Jesus' power ethics. So what did Jesus do with his power? And then what does that have to do with what we do with our power? So think about Jesus' life and ministry because that's, that's the way in which we are to walk. Anyone who wants to have spiritual influence in other people's lives, they bear the name of Christ. They are to walk as Jesus walked as it relates to his power and how he used it. So Jesus was always using his power to build up those around him, especially the marginalized in, in his uh, community. Think about his interaction with women and what the culture around him said should happen. But he was lifting up and honoring women and elevating them. Gentiles who the Jews couldn't even eat with because they were unclean. He was, he was honoring them. Jesus with the Samaritan woman at the well, the Samaritan, amazing scene in The Chosen. I, I, I keep referencing The Chosen. Y'all haven't even seen it. You guys need to go watch it. It's so good. The way Jesus 
um, used his power to honor the, the fishermen, the sinners, the tax collectors, people who were on the, 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 um, the scum of society on the outskirts. He would lift them up and honor them. The lepers, those who were sick, those who people thought had sinned and, and gotten blind, he healed them, he honored them. He used his power to build others up, not to demand his own rights, right? He didn't, he didn't use his power to crush those under his thumb, but rather to build them up. In Mark 10, verse 42, it says, Jesus called the disciples to him because they were having a discussion about power and who would be the most powerful and who would sit at his right hand and all of these things because they saw that he had power. I mean, who else could calm the steed with a, with a word? You know, who else could say, lift up your mat and be healed? And it happens. And so they wanted in on that power. But Jesus said, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And does this ever happen uh, with those who call themselves Christians, who bear the name of Christ? Do they ever lord over their power over another? He says, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever wants to be great in the kingdom of Christ must be your servant. Whoever would be first must be slave of all, for even the Son of Man the Son of Man, Christ, the King of the universe, came not to be served, but to serve and to give up power to give his life as a ransom for many. So maybe we can think, what influences in your life are posing as spiritual, but don't meet the way of Jesus' power ethics? Are there any influences in your life that want to catch your ear, but they're not lining up with Jesus' use of power. And what about your own life? Are you moving towards or away from Jesus' path for your use of power? And we all have power in this room, yeah. So those are some words on that, that third test, the ethical test. Am I living like Jesus lived? And are those who are seeking to have influence in my life living like Jesus taught and lived? And then John goes on. This is 1 John 2, verse 7. It said, Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment. And notice the language there, beloved. Um, oh, yeah, you can go to that verse. Again, notice the tone of John. He's, he, he is endeared to these people. He's not trying to come down hard on them. He's actually trying to encourage them. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you had heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in you and in him. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. We've said John kind of speaks in these circular terms. It's hard to track with him. He's, which is it, John? Is it a new commandment, old commandment? I don't know. I mean, the point is love, right? We get that, John. Just come out with it. He goes on, whoever says he is in the light, if someone says, yeah, I'm in the light, I follow Christ, and yet hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So here's test number two, the heart test. You could call it the social test, the test of love. 
Do I love like Jesus? Have I experienced the love of Jesus such that that love flows out from me into the relationships around me? And a few weeks ago, we talked about uh, the, the um, Jesus ethics on this teaching. So he teaches early in his ministry, love your enemy. And he's kind of setting up the tone for when those enemies come into the kingdom of God. And then he says, love one another. So sometimes loving within the church means loving my enemy who has now come to faith in Christ. And we got to figure this thing out. My brother or sister who previously was opposed to me now is in the family of God. I got to figure this out, how to love them. That is the test of true spirituality. So if, 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 if what is coming out of the person who seeks to, to, to wield that spiritual influence is not love, then it's probably not true spirituality. So you can have the head question, the, the uh, theological question, you can have that buttoned up, you can have all your theological ducks in a row, T's crossed, I's dotted, theology is lock solid, but if you're not loving, then that person is bringing a false spirituality. It has to be accompanied by love like Jesus. So this old commandment versus new commandment, who knows the, the old commandment could be love your neighbor as yourself in the Old Testament. And then Jesus ratchets, ratchets that up. Love one another, not as yourself, but as Christ has loved you, which is self-sacrificial love. Um, you know, in 1 John 3, says, by this we know love, the way that we know and can define love, because love is, you know, popular word even in our culture. The way we know what love is, is that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. So that laying down of our life in the context of community, very seldom is it going to involve giving up your physical life. I mean, has anyone ever, I mean, well, that's not a good question, but very seldom are we going to be called to literally lay down my physical life, but it's going to be to lay aside my preferences, my, my priorities, and to actually die to self in a way so I can be fully present with that person and, and enter into their story, enter into their life, and to love them. <clears throat> I saw this quote, um, I just thought it was funny. Someone, someone in the church once said, you know, there's nothing wrong with their church after a few funerals. Um, that's not loving. If you're thinking, man, our church would be awesome if these people were gone. No, God has put these people together in this room uh, in your small group, as we get those fired back up in the fall, who's excited to get groups going again? Yeah. Yes, that's good. Because we, we've got to gather together if we're going to live out this New Testament stuff, right? If we're going to live out these one another's, this love, we've got to get together. So we're excited for that. So when you uh, are tempted to hate, and we have to be honest about these things, we can't this is one of the reasons small groups are so good is because you can't just get in there with someone's life and pretend that you like them. So larger group gathering, it's a little easier to navigate that. You just kind of float. In our culture, it's easy to shift churches and to go wherever you want, but to really battle through life, come into contact with that person that in your flesh you may hate or despise. Hate's a strong word. Maybe you're apathetic. 
Um, I've, I've gotten some of that apathy and it hurts. Uh, the, the being ghosted by someone, that's, that's worse than someone just saying, you know, actually, I don't like you, but I'm taking time to call you to tell you that. Man, it, we, it's hard for us to admit anytime there's hatred in our, in our heart. But by the grace of God, we can face that, we can work through that and move towards the way of Christ, which is to experience his love and to walk in his love. What a beautiful opportunity to do that as two churches coming together and trying to figure this thing out. So before we wrap up, just quickly, I wanna mention two ditches uh, that we can find ourselves in as we seek to follow the way of Jesus. So that's the straight and narrow. That is a modern pathway that is not from ancient Near East. So on the one side, what we've been talking about last couple weeks are the Gnostics. These are John's opponents. These are the ones who say all that's required is this secret knowledge, this initiation into some sort of secret knowledge, their version of, of being woke, whatever that was. It's really hard to figure out exactly what Gnostic teaching is and when it came about. And the fact that it was secret knowledge made it hard for us to know what that was. But they said everything else in your life doesn't matter. So what you did in the body or in the flesh didn't matter. That's why how they could say that they didn't sin because it, it, it didn't matter because only the spiritual world is, is what's good and, and important. But the, the physical world, what we do here in our bodies isn't important at all and is bad. But the other ditch and the one that Paul addressed a lot is the Judaizers. It's kind of a big word for those who said to be right with God, you have to follow the law of Moses. So they were on this other side. I mean, you can go to the next slide there. Legalistic righteousness, works-based righteousness. So they were saying, you have to do these things to make yourself right with God. Whereas these people were saying, you don't have to do anything to be right with God. You just got to know this certain thing. And this, this um, so as we read John, if we read it through the lens of works-based righteousness, we're going to be off kilter. We're not going to be on the straight and narrow. And if we read Paul through the lens of the Gnostics issues, we'll also be wrong. So as a culture and as, as the American church, I've reflected for the last few years, I think a lot of people are hiding behind their fear of legalism. As soon as something feels like, hey, I'm calling you to actually obey Christ, you need to live this out. Some of these things take discipline and duty. As soon as people feel that, as feel someone putting that on them, they, they raise the flag and say, oh, that's legalism. No, our faith has everything to do with how we live and how we walk and what we do. So here's a quote from a commentary on, on 1 John, and I'll just read it to you. Paul's first concern was works of Jewish ritual that were thought to earn some benefit from God. So if someone's coming in and saying, you've got to do this, this, and this to be right with God, that is no good. Paul can, but at the same time, Paul can at once say that the Christian life should display good works, and yet we are not saved by works. So we should be able to come in and look at someone's life, what they say about Christ, how they love, and how they live, and say, yes, that is the fruit of someone who's been saved by grace. 
Paul himself endorsed no compromise to the believer's pursuit of righteousness. The same is true of Jesus. In his Sermon on the Mount, he said, our righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. And when we have the power of the cross, we can. This is a difficult paradox. Personal righteousness and obedience are an essential component to our faith and yet do not form the basis of our salvation. So we'll keep trying to sift through this. We're not saved by our works, but yet we can test if we're, if we're living out true spirituality in our lives. So as we wrap up, application, and you've hopefully already been doing it, consider John's three tests of true spirituality. The, the head test, the theological test. Are you believing Jesus is the Son of God and came in the flesh? Um, but maybe ask, is there an influence in your life that is opposed to that or counter to that? If you pull up a little bit of Facebook and scroll a little bit, I promise you, you'll come across something that is seeking to deny the truth of who Christ is while retaining some, some um, saying that they follow Jesus. Or think about the heart uh, test, the social test. Are you loving like Jesus? Or the ethical test, are you living like Jesus? So your, your application is think about what influences in your life are posing as spiritual but actually don't meet these tests. I think if we really think about it, there's gonna be some influences, whether it's a celebrity that has our ear who's off kilter in some way, or a family member or a friend, or something we're reading that isn't up to par with Christ's way. And then lastly, what's an area of growth for you, for your head, heart, and hands? And maybe some who are here, either online or here in person, who don't even know Christ yet. And you're just asking the question, well, who is Jesus? And you're just at that beginning to understand this person, Jesus Christ, who came down from the right hand of God the Father, who co-created with God the Father, condescended, became a human, lived the perfect life because we could never, died on the cross and rose again to bring newness of life. And if that's you, just lean in and, and choose to follow Christ. So as the band uh, comes up, I just want to speak over our two churches the words of encouragement that John wrote uh, to these believers right after the passage that we've just studied. Again, thinking of John's, the tone of this letter is so important. He is encouraging these brothers and sisters. He's saying, you guys are, you're doing the right thing. You, you have true spirituality. Keep going, keep following, keep seeking Christ. So I'm gonna just read this over us as we uh, get ready to sing together once again. So John says, I'm, I'm writing to you, little children, those who are new in the faith. I'm, I'm saying to you, if you feel you're new in the faith, your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. He says, I'm writing to you, fathers and mothers, those who have matured in the faith, those who've walked with Christ for a long time because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men and young women, those who are right in the middle of your spiritual journey, learning and growing because you have overcome the evil one. He says, I write to you, children, 
those new in the faith, you know the Father. You know the Father. You don't need some new spirituality. You already know the Father. And I write to you, fathers and mothers, you know him who is from the beginning. And young men and young women, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for for John's wisdom at the end of his life to give us these tests of true spirituality and that these, these words have persevered all the way to 2021 and they're just as timely as ever because there's so much false spirituality there that would, that would take our eyes off of the true Christ, off the way of Christ, off of loving like Christ. So I pray for Tallgrass Church and the well, Tallgrass at the well, visitors, those online, God, that you would be making us more like your son, Jesus Christ, and that our faith would be lived out in our head, our heart, and our hands. We love you. In Christ's name I pray, amen. This teaching was recorded in partnership between Tallgrass Community Church and The Well. For more resources like this, visit tallgrass.church and thewellmhk.com.